So um, how many of you have ever heard of the Virginia Creeper Trail? How many of you have ever heard of the Virginia Creeper Trail? Man, you could hear crickets. I didn't see one hand. Did I miss a hand? Oh, there, okay, a few. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, eight, eight of you, something like that. Virginia Creeper Trail. So I have a friend in our church who, uh, a guy, he's been telling me for eight years, man, you got to go to the Virginia Creeper Trail and, and uh, ride the trail. And it kind of threw me off because the word creeper threw me off. I don't, I'm not attracted to things with the word creeper in it, you know. That, that feels weird. But, but the trail, what it is, is this trail um, used to be a train track. And the train was called a creeper train because the way it crept, crept along, okay. So when they uh, didn't use it anymore, they took all the track up and they made this long trail that you can ride on a bicycle, now, until recently, I hadn't ridden a bicycle since I was like a, like a child, like a kid, you know, at middle school maybe. And he said, man, you got to come ride this trail. It's 34 miles long. I don't want to drive 34 miles. It's 34 miles long, and you get on a bike and you ride it. But it's, a lot of it's downhill, you know, so you're kind of coasting. And I said, why would anybody want to ride a bike 34 miles? That's insane. I don't want to do that. But... A couple of months ago, after him just telling me for months or years, I finally got the chance and went up and I rode through. And can I just tell you, it was incredible. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was beautiful. The leaves had just started to change. You ride in these quaint little towns and you pull up to these little cafes and shops and they kind of cater to the biking and hiking community. It crosses the Appalachian Trail and a lot of it is downhill so it's not quite as hard as it sounds. And you just cruise through. I kept thinking, eventually we're going to get to the section of this thing because it's so long that's going to be like, blah. It's not going to be interesting. It's going to be ugly. Can I tell you, Every mile of the 34 miles is pristine. And it's like 70-something, or I'm sorry, 40, I think 47 bridges that we drive across. It used to be like train trust bridges and all that. And it is absolutely beautiful. Now, here's what it reminded me of. It reminds me that even in a high-tech age, one of the best ways that things spread is somebody experiences something and then they go and tell somebody else and then they come and experience it, which is exactly what happened to me. Like I went and I went, this is the best. If, if you ever wondered if you like bicycling, go bike it. If you don't like that, sell the bike. You're going to hate bicycling because that's as good as bicycling can ever get. But it did remind me, even in a high-tech age, that Word of mouth is kind of the way things spread. Somebody has an experience, they tell people, and online that has just absolutely exploded. Because what we have now, we've become review kings. Have you noticed this? You have, you have Yelp, you have uh, Amazon reviews, TripAdvisor, Angie's List. Back in the day, we used to have Better Business Bureau, which is still a thing, and you can look stuff up there. I know when I'm going to make a purchase... Well, the first thing that I do if it's a big purchase is I'm going to go and read reviews. You know why? I don't want to talk to a salesperson about the product or service. I want to talk to an owner. I want to talk to someone who's actually used the thing and you bought it and now do you have buyer's remorse? Is it as good as they said? Does it work? You know, all of that stuff, right? And so we're a society that kind of functions off reviews. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that's really how the good news about Jesus spread through the New Testament, through the book of Acts, and for the last 2,000 years. 
That's how the good news about Jesus spreads. Somebody experiences him and then says, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you what happened in my life. And then they go, oh, well, I wonder if Jesus could help me. Now, this series we've been in called Apocalypse, we're we're finishing today, last message in the series. And I just want to remind you what the word apocalypse in the Bible means. It means to reveal It means to uncover. It means to make visible. We've kind of talked about it like somebody pulling the curtain back. There's this curtain, if you will, between heaven and earth, between the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. And when you have an apocalypse, when God gives you an apocalypse, he pulls the curtain back and you experience not just this earthly realm, you experience the kingdom of God. You experience the heavenly realm and realize this isn't all there is and this isn't all there's going to be. Now, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you've had at least one apocalypse. And in and my, and my estimation, you've likely had a lot more than that. God has pulled the curtain back, and he has revealed to you who his son Jesus is, and that's how it ever dawned on you to become a Christian in the first place. And you and I are called to share what we've experienced. We're called to share the apocalypse that God has given us. We see this in Paul the Apostle's life so clearly, and I want to read to you from Acts chapter 26 this morning. But before I do, before we look at that occasion, I want to give you the background. So if you'll hold with me for a minute, I want to give you a little more background than normal because I think it's really going to help us understand what was happening here. Now, um, there's never uh, tension quite like at a time when somebody changes teams, right? We see this in the NFL all the time. A player will play for this team, hello, Tom Brady, you know, and then they'll go play for Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know. And, and we're always excited about the rematch because we want the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to play the New England Patriots because you go, what would it even look like for Tom Brady to have a Buccaneers uniform on, you know, and play the, and all of that? And in college, it's a little less normal. And uh, maybe you remember uh, this, if you're an Alabama fan, you remember it, when Nick Saban, who coached at LSU, went back to Baton Rouge for the first time, like they're hanging Nick Saban full-body puppets above bonfires. I mean, it got a little rowdy, you know, down in Cajun land. Because there's a tension when somebody switches teams among the old team. So imagine for a minute if you had a staunch left-wing, outspoken Democrat that up and one day changed philosophies and became an a, a outspoken Republican, or vice versa. You know, what do you think that would be like? Or if you had a, if you had a, 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 a well-known, respected socialist who beca- suddenly became a staunch capitalist, or the opposite way around. Can you imagine how the feelings would be among their old group? Can you imagine how tense it would be among their old community? It would just be, it would be weird. Um, every now and then, and it seems like it's happening more often, or maybe social media uh, exposes everything, I don't know. I, I've read these articles about, or blogs about, worship leaders or pastors or Christian leaders who have somehow gone through a discovery journey and um, defected from the faith. You know, they've moved from a Christian leader or a, a place of Christian influence to an agnostic. And when I read these, every time I read one of these, 
it just, it just breaks my heart because I wonder what happened. What happened in their life? You know, what have they endured? What pain have they endured? And then it, I always wonder, I wonder whose faith is being harmed right now. Like I wonder whose faith in Jesus is being shaken because they followed the singer or leader or pastor or whoever it is, and, and it, it's, it's, a, it's upsetting. When someone defects from your team, it hurts your cause. And so this is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 26. Paul, it happened in a good way this time, Paul had defected from his team. He was among a group of religious leaders that hated Christians and persecuted Christians. And he defected from the team. And you're talking about tension. It made them so mad that 40 of them said, we vow to not eat again until that man is dead. We're going we're gonna to kill him. They hatched a plan to kill him. And the Romans found out about it. And check this out. It was such a hostile environment. The Romans sent 470 soldiers to, to get Paul out of prison and move him to another city because they were afraid these 40 people that claimed that we're not going to eat again until he dies was going to kill him. And so they sent 470 soldiers to move him and, and to appeal to the governor, a Roman governor. And so Paul eventually um, gets an audience with a man named King Agrippa. And he gets to tell his side of the story, okay? And so here we are. Acts chapter 26, verse 9, Paul is going to tell his side of the story. And here's what he says. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief, chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison... And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from, you didn't know he was Southern, many a time, right? Paul was from the South. Well, you, don't, you don't talk like that anywhere else. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them, I even hunted them down in foreign cities. He even went across natural boundaries into other countries and into other cities hunting these people. He was so obsessed with the idea. How many of you know Paul was on their team? <laughs> Paul was not on Jesus' team. Paul was not on Jesus' people's team. Paul was on the people who opposed Jesus. That's whose team he was on. Look at verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, that's who he's talking to. He's relaying this event that happened. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice. Can you believe this? A light that shines so bright it drove him to the ground, and a voice he heard saying in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, that was his name before he was a Christian, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Verse 15, then I asked, who are you? What is this voice? What is this voice that we all hear? Who is this talking to me? Who is this with this blinding light? And here's what the voice said. I am Jesus. 
who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, in this um, experience, in this story retelling, Paul doesn't use the word apocalypse, but when he tells the same account in the book of Galatians chapter 1, you can read it there, he actually uses the word apocalypse. But whether he uses the word or not, that's what this is. This is an apocalypse. The curtain is being opened. He said, I saw a light. I heard a voice. Then the voice said, I am Jesus. Now, what do we learn? Three things. We learn about three things that you and I are to share. Number one, we share what we've experienced. Paul's not sharing an ideology. He's not sharing a doctrine. He's he's not even sharing uh, philosophy. He's sharing an experience. I saw a light. I heard a voice. And Jesus talked to me. The very next verse, verse 16, he says, Jesus is still talking to him. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. So what did Jesus say to him? I've appointed you as a servant and a witness. Share what you have saw and share what you have heard. If you've been a part of Kingwood for a while, you already know my testimony. When I was 15 years old, drowning in emptiness and purposelessness and frustration and void, one night at 2 in the morning, I I didn't know where else to turn. So I just called out to God and said, if you're real, help me. And what happened is, from that day and the days that followed, I began to experience something different. I received forgiveness. The weight that I was carrying on my life began to lift Where there was sadness and emptiness, there became joy and purpose. And I began to tell people what I saw and what I heard. (laughs) I began to share what I had experienced. Now let me ask you a few questions this morning, okay? When did that's when Jesus became real to me? That's when the curtain came back. That's when I had an apocalypse. When did Jesus become real to you? Do you remember the moment? Do you remember the day? Do you remember the season? Do you remember what was happening in your life? What happened? When when did Jesus become real to you? What brought you to a point of decision where you said, I believe that God is real, and I believe that Jesus is real, and I believe that Jesus has forgiven me, wants to forgive me, and I'm making a decision. When did you make that decision? Have you shared, when the curtain was pulled back in your life, have you shared that with other people? Have you shared that uncovering, that revealing? Have you shared that? Have you shared the apocalypse that God gave you? We're called to share what we've experienced. Now, if you, if you go on in the story, verse 17, Jesus is still talking to Paul in this apocalypse. And here's what he says. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them. I will rescue you. So there's these, you know, 40 people 
Paul didn't know it at the time because this was at the beginning of the journey, but now here he is near the end and 40 people are trying to kill him and Paul is saying, God, Jesus is saying prophetically, I'm going to deliver you from your own people because they're not going to like you because you change teams. <laughs> they're going to want to kill you. And I'm going to deliver you from your own people and from the Gentiles and I'm sending you back to them as a missionary. So Paul, Paul was rescued from legalism I mean, he was oppressive. Paul was, um, Paul was rescued from loveless religion. He, he had a fervent religion, but it had no love in it at all. It had no grace. And man, he became the apostle of grace. He was rescued from prison and mobs and shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and being whipped and lost at sea and a whole bunch of other things. So number two, we share what we've been rescued from. What have you been rescued from? Man, I, I, I know in my own life, I was rescued from brokenness and dysfunction and emptiness and anger. It's filled with anger. I, I, I don't know if it's fair to say I was a racist, but I had a worldview about people that was wrong. I had the wrong worldview of women. I had the wrong worldview of manhood. I believed things that weren't true, that weren't healthy. I, I had a wrong worldview of myself. I had a wrong worldview of God. It was broken and dysfunctional. And you listen to that and you say, how could a guy like that ever be a pastor? Because I saw a light. I saw a light. And I've never been the same. And it wasn't some political party somewhere that worked all that junk out of me. It was Jesus. <laughs> That's who worked it out of me, who healed me, changed my theology, changed my philosophy, changed my worldview, changed my heart, changed my emptiness, changed my anger, changed my prejudice. That's how, I, that's how I found it. I saw a light, and I've never been the same again. I'm called, you are called to tell what you've been rescued from. Can you imagine the impact that we would have if we would authentically and vulnerably share with people in an appropriate way what we've been rescued from? How are people going to know that they can be free from what they're bound to if you won't tell them what you've been freed from? How are they ever going to know? It's a hard thing to do because we want to protect our image. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to be, you know, canceled on Facebook somewhere. We don't want to be, we don't be ostracized. Look, I, 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 my story is I like wasn't perfect and godly when Jesus found me. I needed a Savior. And if you're going to ostracize everybody who needed a Savior when Jesus found them, we got nobody. Because that's everybody. Right? Can you imagine the impact if we were to, at the right time in the right way, share with people what, we, what we've been rescued from?
And, and my life is nothing like the person that I was. And my life, I don't, I don't want to be anything like that. Can you imagine what our life would be like if we, if we took that calling seriously? And it's difficult because I wasn't, as I was writing this sermon, I went, I don't want to say those things because they're embarrassing and they hurt. But you see, in this moment, the hope that's in the room. Because if God can rescue somebody like me, he can rescue you. He can rescue whoever else is around. I just wasn't in a good place when God found me. <laughs> but I saw a light. And I've never been the same after I saw that light. We've been called to share what we've been rescued from. Number, number three. Now, well, let me back up and say this first. Why was Paul called to the Gentiles? And this is a, it's taken me, if I'm honest, what I'm going to tell you in the next few minutes, it's taken me years as a, as a Christian and as a pastor to get my brain and soul around. Because this is con- a little confusing. It's a little conflicting. But why, why, why was Paul sent to the Gentiles? Look at verse 18. We're still in the middle of the apocalypse. Jesus has still blinded Paul with light, and he's still on the ground, and this voice is still speaking. That's the story he's still telling. And here's, and here's what happens. Jesus said, I've called you to the Gentiles, watch this, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what Jesus is saying to him is there was a purpose bigger than Paul. Did Jesus love Paul? Did Jesus save Paul because he loved Paul? Yes. But it was bigger than Paul. It wasn't just about Paul the apostle. Jesus loved Paul, but God gave Paul the apocalypse he did because he loved the Gentiles. Watch this. The purpose was so the Gentiles' eyes would be open, they would move from darkness to light, the power of Satan to God, forgiveness of sins, and maturity in faith. When I was called to ministry as a 16-year-old, my calling was very confusing. Because when I got saved and that anger and emptiness and all that stuff began to lift off me, when I met Jesus, he was the greatest thing in my life I'd ever met. And it began to radically change my life. And I began to live in a joy I'd never had. And it was thrilling. And early, I mean months, I hadn't even been a Christian in a year, months into my walk with God, he began to tap on my heart and call me to ministry. I thought, I don't want to be a pastor. I didn't get saved to be a pastor. I didn't get saved to, to do something like that. I just, I just, Jesus became the greatest thing I'd ever known, and I just wanted more of him. I didn't, I didn't know it would be like a role. <laughs> I didn't know there'd be like a, you know, something connected to it like that. And that was very confusing to me. But as I grew in faith, I began to realize that God had saved me for a purpose bigger than me. Now watch, this is where it gets a little confusing. Number three, we share what we've been called to. God saved you for a purpose bigger than you. He called you to somebody. God didn't just save you from something. He saved you for somebody. God saved you for somebody. So so this is where it kind of gets confusing. When Paul got saved, 
When God saved Paul, God was thinking about the Gentiles. When God saved you, he was thinking about somebody. Who was he thinking about? God wants to pour his love out through you to somebody else. Now, this is very conflicting to us because how, it's confusing because we think, wait, 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 wait. We operate in our society trying to figure out what somebody's motive is behind what they do. Why is this person running for office? Why does this person do that? Why, did they, why is this company giving this away? What's the trick? What's the gimmick? What's the game? What's behind it? And so when you say to somebody, God saved you for a purpose bigger than you, it feels like God doesn't care about you at all. He just saved you so he could get some other stuff in the world done, and you're kind of coincidental in the middle. But let me, let me share something with you, okay? God is not like us. God has the ability to have full motives of love to us and through us at the same time. And you know why? Because he's not like us. He's not human. He's not limited. Oftentimes we can only be driven by like a main motive. God's main motive is love. And his ulterior motive in saving you is because he loves you. And God's ulterior motive in saving you is because he had in mind saving somebody else through your testimony. And which one's more? Yes, they're both more. They're both the big one. They're both the most important one. And God has the ability to balance that because if he didn't, who, he wouldn't be God. God can, do, God can do all of that. It took me a while to wrap my brain around that, particularly as a baby Christian because I was thinking, God, I don't, what, is, what is this you're telling me? I don't want, a, I don't want a, a, a job. I just want to be healed. I just want to know you. Like what's, I didn't know this was about all of this. And as God's love melted my heart, I began to see that he loved the people who didn't know him as much as he loved me. And so when he saved me, I don't know, maybe he had some of you in mind. Maybe some of you watching online he had in mind. That he saw the future and knew that we'd be here today and he wanted to use me somehow to talk to you. And that's true for you. That's true. Who's around you? Your family, your friends, your coworkers. Maybe you help send a missionary. I mean, God had people in mind when He saved you because He's He can do all of that, and it's not a it's not a conflict of interest for God. It doesn't shrink His love for you at all, at all. He can perfectly love you, and He can be perfectly willing to send His Son Jesus to die if you were the only human on earth. And at the same time. He can send His Son Christ for the whole world and save you that He might touch the, a larger part of the world. So a lot of people are hurting right now. Man, we've been through so much in less than a year. You know, I feel like the miles are, are racking up. It's been a lot. It's been a lot, a lot, a lot. Riots and pandemic and political season and economic changes and Gosh, I mean, we could just talk all morning. And every time I talk to somebody that I haven't seen in a while, I, I say, how you been? You know, how's it been going for you? 
and I listen, and gosh, I just go, man, every time I do that and I listen to someone, it just, I just go, boy, this is, more than, this is more than we think. And it's not that there's one event that's just kind of swept in and, and punched everybody and, and, you know, one day or one week. It's, it's, it's not like that. It's that the weekly grind of living in all this chaos just wears people down over time. Because everything is a little harder. And it just takes the life out of us. So people are hurting and need hope. Here's the thing. God has called you to somebody. Somebody. Have you shared? Have you shared what Jesus did for you? Have you shared the light that you've seen? Have you shared the hope that you have? Have you shared the joy you know? Have you shared? One of the things you can do, and I'd encourage you as we close out this year, how many of you are ready for 2020 to be over? Say, come on, Jesus. You know, end it. Shut the door. You know what I'm saying? I want 2020 to like be gone. And hopefully I'll get some kind of deal where I can't remember it you know I just want it over you feel that way but this little stretch here you know has the potential to be difficult for a lot of people so here's what you can do as you kind of get close to the here's one of the ways you you can just say God in your own prayer time Lord would you show me who you've called me to who did you save me for would you just show me and you can start to pray for them. You know, just as God brings a face or a name, you just pray for them. And, and then look, our church has organized itself in a way that we want to help you fulfill the calling God gave you. And you know how we can do that? Well, we're going to have a prayer drive through. <laughs> And so maybe you know somebody, maybe God's called you to somebody who needs prayer. We can help. We're going to have a prayer team here ready on their feet for three hours in the parking lot with music. And we're going to make it as good as we can make it. And we want to give people hope and pray for them. Christmas Eve, we're going to have a jamming service of joy. I guarantee you, you know somebody who's going to need that. And invite them. Look, it's never been easier. If they can't come in person, you can invite them to watch online. Hey, our church is doing this service, you know, it, 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 four and six o'clock. It'll be online. Would you just, just watch? Maybe after the service, you could even take the link and just share it with them. I went, I was curious. I went back and looked at our Facebook page th th this week to say, I wonder what like a high number of shares is for us. And about 50. It's pretty high. And I went, 50? We don't have 50 people in our church. Why isn't it 500 or 1,000 or 1,500? Why is it that higher? Man, you and I have been called to share. And it's never, look, rather than blowing up social media with, with uh, culture war or politics, whatever, why don't we, why, if we want to be a movement of hope, why don't we start on social media? Why don't we start by showing, sharing things that bring hope and light and that apocalypse Jesus? Show the world, man. Let's shine. Let's shine. 
In the darkest of times, the light shines the brightest. We ought to be shining right now. So let's shine. As we end this morning, I do want to circle back, okay? Because here's what I know. Some of you are hurting. And man, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that we get to open our campus right now and meet in person. And I'm so grateful that many of you are worshiping online. We have more people, double and sometimes triple the number of people on our campus that are online. And I'm so thankful those of you who are worshiping online today. Because today, man, is an opportunity for you to find hope in Jesus. So would you just stand with me if you're here in the room, if you're online, would you just kind of get to a place you could be still, wherever you're at, and every eye closed, and we just open your heart. Man, I know when I talked about, you know, people are hurting, some of you even thought, yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, some of you even thought, I don't have to be praying about, you know, who's hurting around me. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm hurting now. With every eye closed in the room, if you're online today and you say, you know what? I'm hurting and I need prayer. All you need to do, our prayer team is live. They're online. They've been online the whole service. And then what, all you have to do is go to the comment section and just write there, I'm hurting. Just write, I'm hurting or I need prayer. If you want to write the need that you have, our prayer team is going to join you there and we're all going to pray together in a minute. But if you're in the room today and you say, you know what? I'm hurting. That confession is not a confession of weakness. It is a confession of faith in God that I have a healer. That I have a God who loves me and cares. And so this morning, with every eye closed, if you just say, you know what? Today, I'm hurting. I really am. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. Frustrated. I'm just battling, man. I'm discouraged. Maybe, maybe you say I'm depressed. I'm, boy, there's chaos in my relationships. I'm hurting. I don't know what to do about this decision. I'm hurting. With every eye closed, you just lift a hand up and say, you know what, today I need an apocalypse. I need God to reveal himself in my circumstances, in my life, in my heart, because I'm hurting. Just lift your hand up. We're just going to pray for you. Man, it's okay to hurt. Man, I hurt. People hurt. You know, where are we going to go when we hurt if we can't go to church? Can I just pray for you? If you're online, we're all going to pray together now. Lord Jesus, God, as we just stand in the quietness of this moment, in the honesty of this moment, and just say, God, I hurt. God, I hurt. I believe you are a God of love that reaches down in moments like these and just begins to undergird us with comfort and peace. And Lord, you begin to move and change circumstances and change emotions and change, shift our perspective and our thinking and to move things around. And so, come on everybody, just pray with me today. God, just begin to move, move. Move in this room and shift circumstances and shift lives and change people's mind and heart. Change circumstances. Lord, bring provision. Bring relief. Bring life. God, let this moment, for all the darkness that we walk through, for all the heaviness that we walk through, God, lift the burden as we pray together with your people. Lord, minister to the person that's on, in the living room right now at home or 
watching in the kitchen or sitting in their car. Maybe, maybe they're watching a replay of this. God, just reach through by your spirit right now. I, I feel so strongly that there's, there's somebody, there's people you want to touch in that space. God, that are just disconnected and lonely. Let your spirit, just as you reached me at 2 a.m. one morning in my living room at 15, God, just reach through right now. Just let them experience your grace. You're not mad. You're not angry. You're not waiting to judge or to punish or to, or to hammer them. God, today you want to lift up. So we receive today from you. Would you say that? God, I receive from you grace. I receive from you the power of God to live. I receive from you the power of God to overcome. God, I receive from you. In Jesus' name. And our worship team's going to sing this song called King of Glory. I love this song. Because it, just what you did earlier this morning already, it lifts our heart and our mind and our eyes up and allows us to focus on the one true King. So as the worship team, you guys come on. Just begin to lift your voice wherever you are. Just begin to say to Him, God, I love you and I lift you up and I praise you. And Lord, I declare today that you are the King and you are the answer and you are the way. You are the light.